I think you can see in your uh, outline or your worship folder there the title that I sent along, Wonderful Things from Your Word. And I, I did do this with a special intention of connecting with the theme of this hour and and uh, Grandpa Spatzel's vision. And when you mentioned uh, the Gideons, you mentioned uh, belonging to the Board of Governors for a Bible college, uh, it, and then when we heard standing on the promises, I felt like, okay, I think I'm on track here. Lifelong learning for me is mainly an issue of the Bible. Will we continue to grow in our grasp of God's Word? Will we continue to grow in our abilities to apply it and live it out with radical authenticity? And will we continue to be transformed by it day in and day out? So, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Psalm 119. I want to read this verse in context, perhaps not the whole unit. You know Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's broken down into paragraphs with Hebrew letters at the beginning of each one. And The one here that we're talking about goes from verse 17 to 24, but perhaps we should read a few of the verses around it, and then I'll tell you uh, what significance this verse has for me and try to open it in three steps for you and apply it to lifelong learning. Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. So the whole goal of this Psalmist life, it seems like, was to just let me keep on breathing and living so that I can be about the word. This is life. Then verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Let me just pray with you before we take it another step. Father, please help me to. Open this verse in a way that would be faithful to your intention. We pray this verse right now for ourselves. It is a prayer, and we make it a prayer. Open my eyes and our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law, your teaching. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Seems to me that if we're going to be holy people and godly people and loving people and radically risk-taking, mission-minded people, we need to have our lives on two tracks. It is like wheels of a train. And one of them would be called meditating on the Word of God, and the other would be called praying before the throne of God. So the Word and prayer would be the two tracks on which our engine keeps running. And lifelong learning has to do mainly with this word rail, I think. But this verse makes very plain the connection between the two, the prayer rail and the word rail. Because this verse is a prayer, but it's a prayer about the word. Let me point out the three parts that I see in this verse. One is, there are wonderful things in the Bible. Things of wonder. 
Things that if you see them for what they are, will take your breath away. Will stun you beyond anything you could see in this world. Open my eyes that I may behold wonders or wonderful things from your law. And we know from other parts of the Bible that if you really see them, they change you. 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. It's the seeing that produces the changing. Beholding is becoming, would be one way to remember it. That's the first point. The second point is this. No one can see the wonderful things of God in the word without supernatural help. It says, God, we're talking to God here now. God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things. If God doesn't do that, you don't see them. That's heavy. That's big. That has massive theological implications. You cannot see the wonderful things of God without God helping you see them. Remember Jesus and Peter? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said what? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father. You're looking at me, a human being, Jesus Christ, and you see, Son of God, God's on you. You wouldn't see that. Pharisees don't see it. Flesh and blood, what you are as a human, sees only surface structures in the Bible. That's why there can be godless scholars who see some pretty sharp things. They can see things. They can see things sometimes we miss, and that's why it's okay, I think, to read their books. Secular scholars can see logical connections and historical connections, but they don't see wonder. They're not gripped with glory. And that's what matters in the end. You talk about lifelong learning. We don't just want pastors to gather around Tyndale and see a new logical connection or see a new grammatical structure or see a new historical reality and go home and be as weak and carnal as some preachers are. We want them to see through that glory. Like Peter seeing what looks like an ordinary man with an ordinary face, two arms, two legs, a nose, ears. And he bows down and says, Son of God. And if that's going to happen, now this is the third observation. If that's going to happen, the other rail, the prayer rail, has to be built in. So, Patricia, the whole thing bathed in prayer. You know this. Every seminar, every class, every guest not just stocking the brain with facts, but seeking through prayer the opening of the eyes to grasp the wonders. And I get that just from the fact that the verse is a prayer. 
Open my eyes. They're talking to God. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things. So, let me back now up and just say a few more things about each of those three observations. There are wonders in the Word. Secondly, we can't see them without divine help. And thirdly, therefore, ask for it. Simple. Hope you can take that away. There are wonders in the Word. You cannot see them without divine help. So ask for divine help. Okay. There are wonders in the Word. And the reason that is so crucial is not only for worship. No worship is going to be authentic in any of our churches if the people aren't seeing wonder in the Word. But also for transformed lives in the community. We want our people to be transformed into the image of Christ. And according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord. You see it and you become like it. And so preaching and Bible studies and all kinds of interchanges should be with the aim of making the word more central in our lives. Back in verse 11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So if we don't want our people to sin, or we don't want ourselves to sin, what do you do? It says, Thy word have I treasured, treasured, stored up and valued, seen wonder in and cherished as a wonder, that I might not sin against you. We make a big deal in our church about Bible memory. And I encourage you to make a big deal about Bible memory in your life. Memorize the Bible. Students that are here, don't think you have accomplished much by reading books about the Bible. If you are not storing up the Bible itself so that you can call it to mind, to minister to your soul and other people's soul when you forgot your Bible. Like I did one time at a hospital with one of the great statesmen and saints of our church, forgot my Bible when his wife had a cardiac arrest, ran there, and the first thing he does in this room where the family was gathered was say to me, John, give us a word from the Lord. And I drew a blank. I know hundreds of verses by heart. And I drew a blank and stammered out some prayer, trying to paraphrase the Bible. I went home so ashamed. This, I was the first year in the pastor. I went home so ashamed. I got down on my knees, opened my Bible, and I memorized Psalm 46 cold. And I said, Lord, I will never, ever forget Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, etc. Well, since then, and in our church, this is a very big deal. We have something called the Fighter Verse Program. And we memorize a verse a week, and I begin every service by asking somebody to stand up and recite it from memory in the congregation. 1,600 people. Two services of about 800. And so, and the children do it in the first service usually. I say, any children? No, Matthew 20, 26 to 28. <coughs> Little five-year-old stand up in the balcony and address 800 people by memory. And so we put a high premium on Bible Memory, for a very simple reason. If the doctor says you're very sick, you are very sick, and you are probably going to die. But I have a medicine, and if you will take it, according to the prescription, you will live. 
and you don't take it because the pills are too big or because you're forgetful, you're going to die. And if this verse says, Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you, and you'd like to be free from some sin in your life, and you don't do that, you're going to sin more. This is not hard. This is 101 here. Therefore, treasure the word of God in your heart and you'll sin less. Memorize the Bible. Now, there are some older folks in this room. I'm 53. It is harder for me today to memorize scripture than it was 30 years ago. I have to say it. Over and over and over. And I can get up off my knees and ten minutes later, what was that verse I was trying to memorize? So I carry them around now. A little piece of paper like this. See, I carry them around because I forget them and I have to review them during the day. Here's Psalm 32 too. May my teaching drop like rain and my speech distill as the dew. That was my prayer for this conference. So I brought it along to try to rememorize it. Remember as if from a day ago. <laughs> so I know it's hard. I know it's hard for our older people to memorize scripture. But it's hard to cook a beautiful and exquisite meal. It's not hard to put a hot dog on. But it's hard to make a really nice meal. And it's hard to carve a beautiful piece of furniture. And somebody had some skill with brass there. That's not easy. That doesn't just pop out of the oven. Anything that's worth doing is hard to do. Well, a lot of things are anyway. And this is hard. I have a three-year-old daughter. And we are stocking her head at two and three with Bible verses. She's got a whole bunch of Bible verses that she can read. I mean, she can say she can't read yet. Because we go over. Now, why all this effort to take a three-year-old and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. And she's got it just like that. Two, three times, and she's got it. Why are we doing this? Very simple. In 15 years, I want her to be pure. And strong. And holy. And like a dolphin. Swimming against the tide of her culture. Strong and able to take a stand like a rock without being influenced by any guys who want to take advantage of her or any girls who would lead her in the wrong direction. That's why you store your heart and your mind and your soul with the word of God and you treasure it because there's wonderful things in it. You're going to be a rock. That's the first observation. The second one is you can't see them. You can't see them if God doesn't help you see them. This is scary, right? Scary. Ephesians 4.18, describing the Gentiles, all of us, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them owing to the hardness of their heart. Ignorance. Owing to hardness. How do you get your mind unignorant if it's not a reason problem, but a heart problem? 
You've got to get a new heart. That's the work of God. Nobody in this room gives himself a new heart. God takes out the heart of stone, puts in the heart of flesh. God circumcises the heart so you love the Lord your God that you may live. Deuteronomy 29.4 Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did for your before your eyes in, in the land of Egypt. Those great signs and wonders, hear the word, wonders. You've seen the wonders. Now verse 4, yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know or eyes to see nor ears to hear. Wait a minute. You just said you saw the wonders. And now you're saying the Lord hasn't given you a heart to understand or eyes to see. Well, what, what, what do you mean, Moses? Sounds like double talk to me. And it isn't double talk because Jesus said, and you finish it. Seeing you do not. Start over here. <laughs> seeing you do not. Hearing you do not. There are two kinds of seeing, right? This is see. This is not hard. Seeing, you do not see. Hearing, you do not hear. These see, this doesn't. Or, maybe you know Paul better. Paul, Ephesians 1.18. Grant that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened so that they might See the hope to which they've been called. The exceeding greatness of their inheritance and the power that is at work in those who believe. Grant that their hearts would be enlightened. Not their eyes here. Yes, they can read pages. I can read notes. You can read your Bible and your texts and see nothing of any spiritual significance. Until God enlightens the eyes of the heart. So that they see, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Which leads me to the last point. If you believe what I just told you, that this is the biblical teaching, that apart from God's heart opening, I don't see glory in the Bible. What are you going to do? If you don't help me see, if you don't give me a heart for you, if you don't transform me and circumcise my heart and take out the heart of stone and open my eyes, I will be as blind and as callous and as rebellious and as dead as a rock. Oh, God, come. If you're praying like that, he's already come. But you better pray like that. I pray like that every morning. Let me just close with some typical prayers. Now, I'm just going to get these from Psalm 119. If you say, how do you pray? How do you pray then? Well, you pray verse 18. But let me just give you a few others as we close. Psalm 119.12. Teach me your statutes. So you pray for God to be your teacher. Secondly, Psalm 119.19. Do not hide your commandments from me. Why would you ever pray something like that? 
Do not hide your commandments from me. You know why? Because it's a dreadful thing. And yet true that sometimes judgment comes in the form of hidden word. You remember Amos? A famine of the word. I will send a famine of the word on this land. What does that mean? That means God is going to so act that the word dries up. That's scary. Or Jesus said, I tell you parables to those outside. Everything is in parables so that seeing they will not see. There is judgment in concealing the word from people who have spurned it, scoffed it, rejected it. And God says, enough. And no longer can they see. So pray that that not happen to you. Don't take it for granted, folks. It has happened to me for seasons. And it can happen to you. You can wake up some morning and the desire for the Bible is gone. What guarantees you that tomorrow morning you will want to read your Bible? You? You going to guarantee that? Ha! Huh. You won't guarantee that. If you want to read your Bible tomorrow morning, God has put that there. Or a third example, 119 verse 27. Make me un. Stand the way of your precepts. Number four, Psalm 119.36. Oh, this is one I pray over and over. Psalm 119.36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. The great competitor with the Bible, folks, is money. And all that you can get with it. And you know what? You can't get anything of value in it. God might take your money and do something glorious with it. But if you think that your money is the key to your happiness and you're going to use it as the vehicle to get right with God or stay right with God or provide the longings of your soul, you better pray this prayer because it says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to getting gain. Do you even believe God has a right to do that? Does God have a right to incline your heart? That is, picture it like a metronome. Money, Bible. Money, Bible. Money, Bible. Does God have a right to say, Bible. And hold it there. I tell you, my life is based on his right and his power and his readiness and his gracious willingness to do that for me. Because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. Push me back. Chain me. Fetter me. Bind me with a fetter to you, oh God. That's the way I pray. If you have more resources in you than I do, then uh, don't pray. And the, the fifth thing, and I'll just, I'll just stop with these last ones here. Pray that God would give us life. Psalm 119.88. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Revive me. Oh God, revive me. Give me life. Lifelong learning is a, it's a pattern of 30, 40, 50, 60 year rhythm 
of waning and reviving. Waning and reviving. Leaning the wrong way and graciously being pushed back the other way. And if God could use these days like this and into the years to come to push pastors and lay people back onto the track of meditating on the word and praying to a holy, merciful God, what a great calling, Brian. Do it. Do it for thousands to keep us on the track of the word and the track of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we love your word. And we confess and we are sorry that we are so prone to want to watch television or get to the newspaper or get to our new computer program or even get to preaching and not meditate on the word in fellowship with the living God who meets us there. So forgive us and come and empower us and Incline our hearts and Lord, be on this Roy Spatzel Institute of Lifelong Learning for decades until you tarry, until you come, I mean. Decades, Lord, of calling us back again and again to word and to prayer. In Jesus' name.